0: Hello again and welcome back to the GMS podcast. A big thank you to everyone who listened to our podcast with Morten Hansen. Today we're heading over to Belgium for a chat with Gudrun Janssens who's head of the environmental and technical affairs at the Royal Belgian Ship Owners Association and also Lever Logger the chief financial officer at listed tanker owner Euronav. Thank you both so much for taking part. Gudrun I think we first met when you were a senior policy advisor at OVAM and responsible for developing the Flemish and Belgian ship recycling policy. Welcome once again. Please tell us how you're spending your time these days.
1: Yes, thank you. And thank you, John, for having us. As you said, these days I'm the head of the Environmental and Technical Affairs at the Royal Belgian Ship Owners Association. It's actually a, a mouthful to say that I, I'm trying to keep an eye on main environmental files such as air emissions, greenhouse gases, and of course, uh, ship recycling. And to a certain extent, the greenhouse gases and ship recycling go a bit hand in hand because bringing new ships under the Belgian fleet often requires taking old tonnage out of the fleet of course uh, it's not a one-on-one relationship but still there is a, a definitely a, a link Older the vessels then tend to go to either the second-hand market or recycling of course
0: yes and the the eexi and cii regulations are they on your plate as well coming in next year
1: yes definitely definitely there are certain certain challenges and i think that's why you can only retro retrofitting ships only goes so brings you so far it might not be feasible for for all the ships in our fleet so that's i think especially 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 by the Belgian fleet, which is mainly, consists mainly of younger ships, is very much in this renewing the fleet or looking into the renewing of the fleet and and investing in innovations, research and development.
0: Understood. Lever, just turning to you, you're, as I said, the CFO at Euronav. Please tell us a little bit about what it's like to be running the finances uh, of a tanker owner these days. Are you seeing some green shoots of recovery?
2: Glad you asked John because indeed it's clear that it has been a very challenging period that we have behind us and that we were in a large loss making position due to the COVID restrictions and the oversupply of vessels. And at Euronaf, we try to manage our business very prudently, and we are focusing on having at least two years of liquidity. So you can imagine as a CFO, this is an important business that we are doing together with the team. But you asked about some green shots, and luckily, I think we have three green shots to mention. First of all, I think demand will recover As the the world returns to normal, we see that agencies such as the AIE forecast 4.6 million barrels of improved demand for 2022. And this will benefit 2022. Secondly, we see that the supply of oil is important to us and last year supply growth was very limited. But for 2022, we are expecting over 4.5 million barrels of increased supply as uh, OPEC is increasing supply about 400,000 barrels per month until September. And we expect a higher oil price to stimulate increased supply for areas such as US. And finally, we all know that the crude oil inventories are very low, so it's clear that we need a kind of replenishment to kick in also for 2020 to come and then next to those three green shots i would like to mention a wild card, and i think uh, we already addressed it through several media and the wild card here that i would like to mention is iran imagine that iran is re-emitted into the oil markets this would kick in an additional 1.4 million barrels per day which is currently run through what we call a ghost fleet, and a potential additional 1 million barrels per day from increased production. And and this is also but the aim of the podcast, John, this would also have a positive effect on environment. Why? Because this ghost fleet is currently run by an older fleet, so if we could come back to normal fleet operations, this would give impact and we could rejuvenate the fleet running on our globe currently just as a food for thought. But this is indeed, uh, as you asked for, the views from the oil tanker business perspective.
0: Thank you very much. We see some other tanker companies making this exact point in the press and it's good to get your perspective. Euronav made the news recently for reducing depreciating costs by something like a hundred million dollars due to a change in the way you measure vessel residual values. I noticed your shares are trading up the last few weeks, so presumably this was welcomed by your investors.
2: Exactly, I would think the same, but I'm not sure if this is the only underlying reason, but John, indeed, eh, uh, we can At least conclude that it was welcomed by the market. I think the most important thing here that I would like to mention and to point out to you is that we are now fully in sync with our peers. We were the only tanker business which were using a zero residual value. I think this was not reflecting reality given the high scrap prices we recently had or enjoyed, whatever the word you would like to use. In 2021, we are speaking about levels of $600 per light debt-width ton. So I think the most important positive news is that we are in sync with our peers. And indeed, combined with the fundamentals as just discussed, I think this is currently reflected in the share price evolution.
0: The article I referred to mentioned that you'd made some calculations on the environmental benefits of using scrap metal for steelmaking compared to iron ore. Was this part of a wider look at sustainability?
2: So indeed, eh, sustainability is at our uh, core of our culture at Euronaf. Eh, and we all know that when looking to the green gas uh, emissions, there are three scopes to be taken into consideration. Eh, you have your scope one, which is the direct emissions eh, from owned or controlled sources. You have your scope two, which is related to the energy that you're using. And thirdly, eh, the, the scope three is the ones which are the indirect emissions uh, that occur in a company's value chain. So the steel used in the vessels is part of the scope, which opened the exchange on how the steel industry is moving towards to become carbon neutral. When we look to Mittel, for example, one of the leading steel companies in the world, they have made a commitment that they would be carbon neutral in 2050. And this makes you reflect on how well they do this. And when I look to how they will approach to become carbon neutral. There are two main topics. First of all, they will change the metallic input by increasing the proportion of circular recycled scrap and using hydrogen or green hydrogen to have steel produced. And then secondly, what they will look at is indeed the powering of their steelmaking assets. They will have a look on how to energize their plants. And the first point, as I was mentioning, the metallic input is mainly related to the portion scrap they would like to use compared to iron ore. Even when you compare both scrap compared to iron ore, you need much more energy to melt down or to reduce the iron ore compared to scrap. So for making steel, if you can use scrap, you need or you consume far less energy when you reuse scrap compared to reducing iron ore. So, this is what we call indeed the perfect circular in, uh, economy. The additional point that I want to raise, John, is that in fact, steel is eternally recyclable. This is the beauty of steel because you always, you eternally can recycle the steel or the scrap and reuse it the whole time. So, this is exactly, I think, uh, answering the needs or the use of scrap and also then indeed the link to give a decent value to the residual value of our fleet eh? and this has led to the reassessment of that residual value with the Euronef management.
0: I gather you spent some time working with ArcelorMittal, was that a program you were working on?
2: Exactly, eh? I indeed uh, contributed with a lot of pleasure in that program. eh? So I've worked 23 or 24 years for ArcelorMittal, eh? indeed gaining some experience in that field, absolutely.
0: Oh, that's interesting, thanks. (laughs) Turning to recycling, Ghodrun, you have been personally involved in shaping the regulations for ship recycling. Can you tell us about how it all started and maybe bring us up to date with where we are now?
1: Yes, it's fair to say it started or the topic of ship recycling became really important when IMO adopted the Hong Kong convention. So let's take 2009 as our starting point point. and looking at it from an EU perspective. I can see at that time, 2009 was still considering end of life vessels as hazardous waste meaning uh, it was prohibited. There was an export ban to, to export ships outside basically the EU and Turkey. But this waste shipment regulation came with tremendous efforts from the administrative side, but also on the enforcement side. It also ignored, put the responsibilities for end-of-life vessels where there should be, namely on on the port state and the flag state. The the waste shipment regulation doesn't know the principle of a flag state. But at that time, luckily, the Commission solved the issue and said, okay, this is really difficult. I think it's even mentioned in the impact assessment. The waste shipment regulation is not really fit for shipping, for the international character of shipping. So the ship recycling regulation was developed. I think this was around about 2013 when it was published. And what the EU basically did was they took out EU flag vessels and they said, OK, now you were waste, but as of from now on, we don't consider you hazardous waste anymore. Um, you need to abide to the principles of the Ship Recycling Regulation, which were very much in line with, with those of the Hong Kong Convention. So the, at the time, the final goal, I think, was to reduce and eliminate adverse effects on, on people, on environment worldwide. Shipping companies and recycling facilities be able to compete with each other in a global level playing field against the same sustainable standards. I think it was mainly Miss Soledad Blanco, who was the head of unit at the time in the Commission, I think. She was really aware of the economics behind ship recycling and behind shipping. She knew that if, I think, if any EU regulation or directive would need to succeed, it would need to fit into this global way of operating and and the global level playing field. And again, as I said, it's definitely in that impact assessment. If you read it, the impact assessment of 2012 accompanying the, the initial proposal.
0: And after 2012, what would be the next milestone?
1: I think the next uh, milestone would, would be 2016, I think, 2018, when the Ship Recycling Regulation really came into force with the publication of the European List. But by then, Ms. Blanco had left the unit. That's how it works in the Commission, right? that they, they change uh, positions from time to time. And I think it's fair to say that there was little appetite at the time to really look into this topic of global ship recycling. I can understand, because if, if you look at it from the European environment point of view, it's a special topic. And we found that it's, it, the topic got delayed. For instance, Indian facilities would apply. They would try to meet the criteria. They were hardly given any feedback. And, and somehow the Commission could not see, I think, the immense progress that was happening in India. It definitely started with the Hong Kong Convention back in 2009. But I think we have to acknowledge the EU and, and thanks to thanks to the EU that the topic was kept alive and the progress kept going. Because at the time, I mean, at the IMO, no one was speaking about recycling. I can understand greenhouse gases, air emissions, very important. But the topic at the IMO was that, so it was what the EU did was boosting actually the topic of ship recycling. But then again, time went by and nothing really happened. The EU list was developed, but it only contained European facilities, then some Turkish facilities. And there was, yeah, a, a, a standstill. And yeah, I think that's basically where we are today with the shipping industry. The European shipping industry more or less has the same options to go for recycling as we did under the waste shipment regulation, uh, meaning we can go to European facilities and, and a couple Turkish facilities. But yeah, we're definitely not there yet.
0: Okay. Not there yet, but is it at least on track to achieve its goal?
1: I think it was it was on track and if you look, I always refer back to the impact assessment of 2012 on the, when the, the draft regulation was proposed. And I think we were on track and it also showed from the progress was made in India. And I think especially the top Indian, a few Indian yards embraced the European ship recycling relation. Uh, a lot of investments were made, time, money was spent to, to try and comply. But then as I said, then nothing happened for too long. At the European level. Of course, there was also China at the time that had a waste import ban. So Chinese facilities also applied, but then they I'm not sure if they withdraw their application of it was over, or if it was sparked due to the Chinese waste import ban. So so there was a standstill, and I think it's also this continuous. Postponement of taking a different of of taking a decision, a bit of the vague recommendations of stand of the standards, facilities needed to comply with. I think those elements maybe made the EU lose direction
0: right on that topic actually i gather the waste shipment regulation is being reviewed at the moment is that a normal part of the process or is there some reason why it's happening now
1: now the waste shipment regulation is being revised because of the basel ban end of last year there was the ban amendment which came into force and actually now the commission proposes to be in line with the ban to earlier on i explained that ships used to be waste and then the commission said no it's not workable we take them out they're not waste anymore but now due to the basel ban the Commission is saying, oh, okay, we'll try to solve this and ships will be waste sometimes and then sometimes not. They won't be considered as waste.
0: Okay, so ships are sometimes waste and sometimes not. Can you explain that a little bit?
1: How how shall I explain it? (laughs) Now, with the Basel ban coming into force, this was something that was always on the table. Even when the regulation was developed, they knew this was going to happen at one point in time, rather later than sooner at the time. But new, new and I think most stakeholders had hoped that by then the Hong Kong Convention would be into force as a ship-specific instrument, better adapted to the needs of the ship recycling industry and the, the shipping industry. But basically, as it was known that the Basel ban would enter into force, people knew if that would happen, the ship recycling regulation would need major surgery, because it's such would have such an impact. And what the commission is doing now, actually with this proposal is giving us a band-aid. It will stop the bleeding for a while, but in the end it won't help because more is needed. And there is a better solution than what the commission is currently proposing with making part of the fleet waste and making the other part of the fleet end of life ships that might be able to go to non ecd facilities if they meet the standards. That's not a sustainable solution. That's not a long-term sustainable way forward. I'm bound
0: to ask you what is a better solution then?
1: I think there are better solutions, but they're probably, for sure, there are a lot more work. But it's not because it's more work that, that you shouldn't pursue it. The EU developed a regulation, it's their responsibility to make it work. There was the option on the table, I think, but you would need to ask the Commission on the state of play, Uh, there was the option of a bilateral agreement that the EU was seeking with India. It's a procedure foreseen in in Basel to agree on such an agreement between two two regions in the world. And of course, as is stipulated in Article 1 of the Ship Recycling Regulation, which is to facilitate and to push more for the Hong Kong Convention, because it would bring us all together worldwide on the same level playing field. It would allow European and non European ship owners, but also ship recycling facilities to compete with each other on, against the same sustainable criteria. And I think that's what the, an international operating industry needs.
0: Could you ever see a scenario where recycling yards in a Lang are granted EU approval?
1: As I said, uh, they invested, especially the top yards who already received Hong Kong Convention Certifications from re- very well-known classification societies. I think they invested a lot of time and money to, to meet requirements. But even today, it's and it's part of the reason why everything is, is, is going so slow, even today it's not quite 100% clear what the standards are they have to live up to. For instance, there's this requirement on medical assistance and medical care, and then I think they make investments, they think it's solved, and then it appears appears not to be solved. There's a hospital needed, okay, there's a hospital, but then the hospital is found inadequate for some reasons. And you can never find, neither in in the reports from the Commission, which are on the website, anyone can access these, just like never. Or hardly ever, it's not mentioned what the exact criteria is. For instance, there needs to be a hospital with five doctors and two emergency rooms, 24 seven, and the standard is the international standard on medical care, for instance.
0: So you're kind of saying that the goalposts are being moved that, that when one criteria is met, another objection is raised. So are we talking about a learning curve or a deliberate tactic to prevent Indian yards from ever achieving EU approval?
1: it's okay to learn as you go to make progress it keeps progress going definitely but there's also legal certainty needed of course this goes for ship owners as well as for sh- for ship recycling facilities and the worst or one of the worst things that can happen or of the shipping industry is the legal uncertainty and mm. and i think with the current proposal commission trying to to bring the Basel Ban into European legislation. We went one step forward, but we're going two steps back and it's creating huge legal uncertainty. And it's hard to think anyone can support these proposed changes because it's not the long-term sustainable solution. And the long-term sustainable solution would be to get everyone in the bathtub, start from a global standard and then make progress.
0: Yeah, that's a great point, actually. It must be a real challenge for ship owners to navigate the regulations. Perhaps I can ask Liva, how do you approach recycling at Euronave?
2: So currently it, it goes without any say John that we are respecting the current uh, policy as applicable. So this is a starting point. But I must adhere to what Hudrun was mentioning, we need support from to, to enable to operate on on a common level playing field. And when you were preparing for this interview, I was told that Europe is a net exporter of scrap. Sorry to come back to steel, but it's still my passion. You feel <laughs> this probably, but indeed, did you know that Europe is a net exporter of scrap? Then combined with the fact, John, that Euronev is operating majority of its fleets in Asia, it would make sense that we have some approved shipyards in, in Asia. Uh, I think there we kill two uh, birds with one stone. First of all, job creation uh, and, and creating wealth. I don't want to be paternalistic about it, but at least a, uh, point one. Secondly, I think also from the ESG perspective, first returning your fleet for scrapping in Europe and then exporting again also from the ESG point of view. It doesn't uh, bring value in the circle. So it's clear and it goes with without any say that those uh, approved shipyards should be fully Hong Kong compliant. This is clear, eh? and this is still the challenge we have to execute, but it's clear, Ali, and this is a clear appeal and support that we would like to ask Europe to enable and to operate the European ship owners in a common uh, living playing field.
0: Well, hopefully someone from the European Commission is listening and taking notes. Just going back for a second to your depreciation recalculation. Can you shed any light on how you arrived at the figure of $390 per ton for your ship's residual value?
2: It's very simple. The basics there, and I have to return back to steel, but it's based on the international market of steel. Eh? So it's uh, the demand of steel internationally, which is indeed uh, defining that uh, that price. And for sure, we need to do an update, and it's an average based on a cycle, etc. Right. I don't want to go into the dig into the technical details, eh? but indeed the reference is based on the international demand. Of, of.
0: I guess what I'm asking is whether the figure is based on the price obtainable in, say, India, compared to, say, Turkey.
2: We use a basket, John. Eh? A basket? We, we use a basket indeed to leverage out, eh? because we don't have a certainty for the time being. Eh? So hence, we have divided bit the risk by taking a basket of, of...
0: Before we wrap up, let me just ask you about how the Russian invasion of Ukraine is impacting Uranav
2: we indeed discussed uh, we are following closely following up i I think the 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 first main impact is our crew because we are working with ukrainian people colleagues and we are working with russian colleagues so we have about 200 people working currently on our fleet and this is the, the the first concern indeed on how to deal with those people and how to manage them but I'll agree there is a, a serious impact also on the commodity business. I re, I come back to my earlier uh, comments uh, on how it will play out Yeah, t- too early to predict uh, on this, uh, John, let us closely follow up yep. because there are many scenarios possible uh, on what is currently ongoing. So it's uh, something which, uh, which is uh, on our watch, watch list uh, each second of the day.
0: And how about you, Gudrun?
1: Yeah. Indeed, we're following up and I know our managing director himself is it's day and night almost liaising with, with the competent authorities on this, informing not only, of course, Euronav, but also our other members who have interests or uh, are sailing in, in, in the area. And and indeed, as as Lieve said for the association as well, crew
2: on board is a very important element not to lose sight of.
0: Absolutely. Thanks so much to both of you for taking part in this podcast.
2: Thank you for giving us the opportunity uh, to bring this into the open eh? and to to give it visibility.
0: My pleasure. And thanks for giving us your time.
2: Likewise, also the best for both John and Naeem. Thank you for participating. (laughs) Thank you.
0: And thank you for listening to this GMS podcast. We're really keen to hear your feedback and maybe have a chat with you on a future podcast. So don't be shy, reach out and we'll do the rest.